say good afternoon to everyone. It's good to see you all, and it's good to be seen by you. I thank the Lord for his goodness and his mercy, keeping us throughout this week. Thank you guys for your prayers, for those who were aware. Pastor Rob and I were away in Northern Ireland um, last weekend, um, hence the absence. We were on, um, on assignment um, on El- London City Mission Ministry Business, and um, we participated in a conference and preached at um, two churches. Um, and it was a tremendous time, real in- insightful um, experience to just see, meet with the church there in Northern Ireland, see the work of the Lord that's going on there, and also appreciate just how the gospel interacts with a very troubled community. Um, you know, they've got a real big gang issue um, in, in Northern Ireland. Um, it's just that they go by different names, the sectarian, Protestant and Catholic. Um, but as we were there and we were going through the, the, the local neighborhoods and seeing literally war paint on the walls and on the curbs and so on, it became very clear that the, that, that kind of manifestation of sin, that tribalism, is such that it's the same but just has different faces. And um, seeing how the, the church there and, and just the, the core of individuals who were endeavoring to reach out across sectarian lines, those from a, a quote-unquote historically Protestant background reaching out into Catholic communities, even in fear of their own safety, all for the cause of the gospel and for the, the love of Christ. And it was really, it was inspiring and I'm um, real privileged to be a part of that. So definitely um, much learnt and um, blessing to be a contribution to the work there. And it really serves to highlight the supremacy of the gospel. That, you know, in a, in a different country, in a, a different context, the gospel is still the priority. And um, I must say, I, I had an occasion this week, which was, I think, probably a first for me in terms of a first in my life and a first at least in ministry, um, I, had, I had occasion this week to strongly rebuke someone, strongly rebuke someone and declare that they were talking heresy. And um, this was uh, in, during the course of a phone call. And um, during this phone call, um, you know, it, it became clear that they were trying to actively promote ideas and teachings which they were claiming to be based on the word of God that were contrary to the word of God. And the point that really got me was when I said, look, when we're talking, you speak to me from the Bible because their inclination and their, their approach was to draw on all of these other books. All of these other books, whether it be Hebrew, Egyptian, Babylonian, to support their argument. And yet they claim to believe the Bible. So I was like, look, okay, look, you say you believe the Bible. Let's talk from the Bible. Talk to me from the Bible. At the end of the day, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Regardless of whatever names you want to use, Yeshua, Iyashia, whatever names you want to use, we're talking about the Savior from Nazareth. He said, yes. I said, you believe him to be God in the flesh? He said, no. I said, huh? I said, no, you, but you used to tell me that you believe the Bible, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Ah, but you see... The word has a father, and so if he has a father, he must be created. I said, that's heresy. Without hesitation, without reservation, it's heresy. I said, look, you believe the Bible. Look at 1 Timothy 3 verse 16. I know you only read the King James Version, so look at it in the King James Version. It's going to say the same thing. Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. Who is this speaking about? Hmm. You know, I have to agree with you, said the person. 
I'm going to have to go away and then we'll come back and talk on this again. I said, evidently we need to. But you can't say things regardless of the views of other writings that are contrary to the scripture because the scriptures are authoritative above all else. We believe the Bible. The Bible is the first and final authority in all belief and behavior. And so as we arrive at our verses today, it's, I would suggest, God's providence, no coincidence that I've had this conversation this week whilst meditating over these verses. Because this fundamentally is the the issue that is being presented to us by the Apostle John. In John chapter 20, um, in our series, Superman HD, Superman, Jesus Christ is the definition of the true Superman. Human and yet also divine. 100% man, 100% God. No lack, no confusion. And so today, John brings us to attention. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that which you have given to us. Help us, Lord, to be a people who would not ignore your word, who would not seek to renegotiate your word, but that people, we, we would be a people who would submit to your word with complete confidence that we would hold fast to it in faith, believing that truly Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of humanity, and through him we have life. Help us, Lord, to leave today edified, strengthened in you as we consider these things. In and for your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So John makes it clear that that which he's recorded, the signs he's recorded, were recorded for a purpose. There were many other things that Jesus done in the presence of the disciples. But they've not been recorded. But what has been recorded has been written that we may believe. So firstly, I want to highlight the fact that, yes, Jesus done much more than is recorded in the Gospel of John. Um, Some of those things are recorded in the other Gospels. We know that 90% of John is unique when compared to the other three Gospels. The Gospels speak about the life of Christ. John speaks from a different angle to the other three writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So some of those things that have been recorded, we don't have to look deep and far to try and find them because they're presented to us in the other three Gospels. And yet still, there are other things that that were done, that are not recorded in any of the Gospels. Why not? Because we don't need them. John's attitude is, I'm providing you with sufficient evidence in order for you to believe. The the idea is, what more do you need? I ask you that today. What more do you need? What more than the Bible do you need? Now, I'm going to be very emphatic today because I understand that the reality is that for many of us, one, we're not confident in the scriptures, and two, we're very open to other writings and ideas and notions. And we're not strong in our stand upon God's word as the foundation of our lives. And so I want to challenge you today. What more do you need? 
John speaks of Jesus, the first sign, changing water into wine. A natural, material miracle. He changed the substance and consistency of a fluid from one thing to another. Water into wine. This wasn't done in secret. This wasn't done some dynamo-style magic. This was done in front of everybody who testified to it at the gathering, the wedding gathering. John speaks of the healing of the royal official son in chapter 4. He speaks of the healing of the paralytic. So I just had a foot operation and I'm recovering by God's grace. Praise the Lord. I wasn't permanently paralyzed. The man in the healing was permanently paralyzed. And yet he gets up and he walks. John records in chapter 6 of the feeding of the 5,000. Five loaves and two fish. 5,000 people fed and satisfied. Bertram jokes, we're going to keep a log. <laughs> Food distribution. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna mark when we hit 5,000. Let's do that. Let's pray that. No, 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 no. Seriously, let's pray that we hit 5,000 servings and there's 5,000 distributions of food. Praise be to God. But you know that it's not a miracle, right? Because we get donations. (laughs) It's not as if we kept going into the cupboard. (laughs) But Jesus had five loaves and two fish. And he held them up and he gave thanks and he broke bread. And 5,000 people were fed and the baskets were full afterwards. What more do you need? Jesus walks on water. No perspex. You see these videos these days and these artists want to be trying to carry on like they're walking on water and so on. And you know they got like a perspex platform under there. They're not God. Jesus heals the man born blind. Born blind. Maybe this man had no eyeballs in his sockets. We don't know. We know that he was born blind. Never been able to see in his life. Jesus gives him sight. What more do you need? And yet Jesus goes on. The the, the piece de resistance... Lazarus is dead. (laughs) He wasn't passed out. Lazarus wasn't unconscious or in a coma. He was dead and wrapped up in grave clothes. They were very clear that he was dead. And yet Jesus speaks the word, Lazarus come out. And he comes hobbling out in his grave clothes. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. As he comes back, as Jesus raises him from the dead. Now, none of these things are are disputed. None of these things are disputed in the life and times of the apostles. None of these things are disputed in in the centuries afterwards. None of these things are disputed that the irrefutable signs that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so John's saying, what more do you need? What more do you need? The things not recorded are not necessary for us. And you know they say that history repeats itself. The only thing that we don't learn about history is that we don't learn from history. And, you know, we're very much in, a, in a, a point in our life and times and in our generation where people are seeking for secret knowledge and seeking for additional wisdom and writings in order to have some sense of superiority. As I was speaking to this individual, there was clearly this sense that they were looking for some kind of superiority as they delved into 12 tribes' um, history and 
Hebrew but not Yiddish and all of these types of talking and and I'm like what difference does it make to what has been written in the Bible none the Bible is sufficient in 2nd Peter you find this verse Peter, one of Jesus' closest, closest um, uh, disciples, Peter who was in the inner circle, Peter who was a, a fisherman from Galilee who left his nets to follow the Savior, he who denied Christ and yet was restored, he who on the day of Pentecost stood up with, an, with a boldness that was uncharacteristic, for one who, was, who had just been in hiding from the Jewish authorities, the Holy Spirit had come upon him and he stood up and he declared Christ the risen Savior at risk of his life. Peter, who history says was crucified upside down because he didn't deem himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as the Savior. Peter says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. See, God in his sovereign power has given us all that we need and has authenticated it. Now, I use that word intentionally. I'm going to use it again. You'll hear me use the word validate. I want you to think in these terms. So someone's um, selling you some software. And you being a righteous, upstanding citizen seeking to please God, are concerned that this software is not bootleg. (laughs) Because I know that you would be concerned, even though it's cheap. And so you start looking on the case for the, um, the little um, hologram seal. And you, you, you don't want to have to be in a situation where when you go now to load this software and put in the um, serial number, you're getting a report from Microsoft or from Apple saying this software is, is, is um, not admissible. And then they start taking over your computer. You're looking for something that is going to give you assurance that this is authentic. Where is the mark of authentication? God has authenticated his word to us. Sufficiently so that we can have confidence. To the extent that we don't have to look in other places for other things. Now, we understand that as John, the apostle, writes the gospel, that this is one of the the last of the New Testament writings. One of the last of the New Testament writings. John writes his gospel. He writes three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which we have, and in the book of Revelation. And so, let's just consider the reliability of the scriptures that were written for you. Is it such that you can have confidence in the scriptures? Is it such that you can rely on the scriptures even to the exclusion of other uncertain writings? They may be interesting, they may be exciting, but are they true? So, John writes his works, the gospel, three letters, and the prophecy of Revelation. It is said that by 90 AD, all of the New Testament writings were complete. John's being the last. Now, let's put this into context. This means that Paul's letters, all the gospels, the um, other letters by Peter, Jude, James, that what they would know and uh, known as the the, the um, Jewish letters, um, the letter to the Hebrews, all of these were completed within sixty years 
of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Within 60 years. That's within a lifetime. Within a generation. So Paul's letters were being circulated around the world. To the Philippians in Philippi. And the Colossians in Colossae. And Corinthians in Corinth. And the Ephesians in Ephesus. And his letters were going to, to, peop, to, to churches and to individuals. If those things which he were writing were not true, there were plenty of people alive, even at the time of Christ, to refute. Some people um, may remember... Remember this. As soon as you see the title, you start laughing. It doesn't matter. Any, at any date that they're writing, it's laughable. Now, this is in a published newspaper. They call themselves a newspaper. That's quite rich let's say. But they spend money and they put content to, to, to paper and they distribute it for people's consumption. In a hundred years, people might look at that and not laugh. How many generations has passed? 150 years, 200 years. People look at that and they, they, they'll be like, hmm. Now we can laugh because it's within our lifetime and we know that it's laughable. Because despite the fact that they present themselves as being a credible newspaper, in our life and times, we know that it's nothing more than a comic. Missing plane found on the moon. Or maybe a more cerebral, a more credible issue to contend with. So there was the time when there were these gentlemen who, found, who claimed that they had found Hitler's diaries. We see Time magazine reporting their forgery. Hitler's diaries join the long list of famous frauds. You know that the scriptures are not on that list. You see, they found these books that they presented to the world as being Hitler's diaries, and this was going to be some unique insights to the man and the time of, of, the, of the World War II. And yet, by a simple assessment of evidence, it was clear that they were forgeries, added to a long list of famous frauds, but the scriptures are not on that list. You see, the same level of scrutiny, the same level of insight and understanding to writings that would have been circulating within the lifetime of, of Jesus, the same level of evaluation and criticism would have been applied in, in the way that we do. We're not the first people to come up with the, the evaluation of evidence. It's not like it started with our generation. And so, knowing that it's impossible to go back in time. We have to consider how were these writings received by the community of their day? How were these writings received? And we appreciate that the writings were received wholeheartedly. Now, there were one and two people who, for their own agenda, sought to present alternative versions and alternative stories but you find that with most of those individuals who were doing that, they would actually draw on the scriptures, they would quote truth, and then add their version to it in order to have credibility. And so even in doing so, they were affirming the validity of the scriptures. By the time of Christ, the Old Testament was already established. 
By the time of Christ, the Old Testament was already settled. Some of you will know that there was a 400-year period from Malachi to Matthew. During that time, there was no prophetic utterance. The, prophetic, the prophets never spoke. God never spoke to people through the prophets. And so that period was defined as being um, the silent years, where there was no new writings um, that were expected, anticipated, or received. Now, there were historical writings, so some of you may be familiar with the Maccabees. I remember my grand used to have this big old Bible. It was big like the laptop in its, in its dimensions, but it was thick. And I remember my cousin saying to me, don't touch that Bible, you know, because it's got the Maccabees. <laughs> wow. You, you, you get what I'm saying, Pastor Rob? Listen, it was like some deep, dark, mysterious book that if you delve into it, it will engulf your soul and take you to hell, the Maccabees. I'm like, I'm telling you, and, and even into my adult life, I, until I kind of learned better, you know, it's history. It's not that deep. <laughs> it's not going to damn you to hell. But the, there was such a um, suspicion and even superstition that grew out of that because it wasn't the word of God, but it was being presented as the word of God. And so in some ways, I'm grateful for that because it kept me out of the Maccabees. (laughs) I don't trust it to this day. Amen. And so the the canon, and some of you may hear this term when, when speaking of scripture, canon. It basically means the rule or standard. It doesn't mean that it's heavyweight like it's a big gun. It just means that the rule or standard of that which is accepted as being from God has been defined, the canon of Scripture. And so the canon of the Old Testament, 39 books had been established by the time of Christ. In terms of the New Testament, it's helpful for for us to consider how did the New Testament become established in terms of what books. There are 27 books in the New Testament How and when did they get accepted as being from God, as being scripture? Now, I want to tell you something. Again, I had to reference this when I was in this conversation um, during the week. When I started to talk about the Bible and let's stick stick to the Bible, the initial response was, well, look, you can't talk to me from the New Testament because Constantine, I said, you know what? Constantine don't have no authority over the New Testament. Oh, but I've been doing my studying. I've been doing my reading. I said, you must have been reading Wikipedia. (laughs) Because you obviously don't know how the New Testament became established as the word of God. Constantine don't have that authority to make those claims. Constantine merely commissioned the validation of that which was already received and recognized and validated to be of God. That was already established. So, the New Testament. Here's a consideration. First thing we understand is that God prepared the authors of the New Testament And God defined those who would be used by him. In Galatians 1, 15 and 16, we see Paul say this. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, notice, before I was born. Now, before Paul was called Paul, he was known as what? Saul. And the name change was significant because as Saul, he was known to be who? It was a, he, he was terrorizing Christians. He was killing Christians. My man was licensed to kill. And his target was Christians. When Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, Saul had received letters from the Jews to go to Damascus to kill Christians. Certified killer. 
His reputation was such that when he became a Christian, people feared to even go and see if it was true, to go and talk to him. Was it a ploy to weed them out and kill them off? Saul had a reputation, and yet he acknowledges that God had set him apart before he was born. God had called him by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to him in order that he might preach him amongst the Gentiles. So God was at work in Saul, who became Paul's life, even before he was born. We see this sentiment expressed by Jeremiah as a prophet. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So no one was used by God by mistake. No one was used by God haphazardly, accidentally, or as a mere afterthought. In Second Peter, we see these key verses. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, speaking of the scriptures, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy of scripture comes from a personal opinion. Scripture is not merely personal opinion. Well, you know, I reckon that God would be saying this, you know. But then again, hmm, let me sleep on it because maybe he might not. Nothing of that nature. We understand that scripture does not come from someone's own personal opinion or private interpretation. Why? For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't of their own opinion and it wasn't of their own origin. But they were moved by God through the power of the Spirit to communicate the truth of God. And that doesn't mean that God didn't use their personality and their own styles. When you look at the New Testament, you see that there are different styles of writing. You look at the, the, Greek, the Greek in the, just, the Gospel of John, and it's regarded as real kind of basic, simple Greek. Somebody once said, if you were to, to want to read the Gospel of John in the original Greek, it'd probably take you about 18 months of studying Greek to, to be able to know Greek well enough to read the Gospel of John in the original Greek. If you want to read Peter now, or Hebrews, you need three years, because that's a different kind. They approach the writing differently. And so even in that, you see the, the fingerprint of the author, the human writer, I should say, as the author, who is the Holy Spirit, works through them to communicate his word according to his will. Now, some people, they have this notion. I'm going to show you this clip. Let me see if I can. And I, and I, and I guess I would admit, to, I myself would, would probably say that this, this next clip I'm going to show you is probably um, similar to the impression that I had in my mind as to how God used these men, how God moved in and through them by his spirit to write. So this, this, this clip is a scene from the film Transformers. I think it's the second one. And in this, you see the main character. Um, I forget his character's name. Shia La La LaBeouf or whatever. Sam Witwicky. You see him now. He's, he's been touched by a piece of the, the AllSpark. Is that right? And so now he's getting visions and revelations. So he's sitting in astronomy class now, yeah, and he starts to get visions and revelations. Watch. 
Some of us think that this is how God used people to write the Bible. So, you imagine the Holy Spirit comes upon John and he starts going through the scriptures, absorbing it at sight. And then he stands up, I know all things. Let me now write. And then he just starts writing in an automated fashion the gospel. If we're honest, we probably feel like there's something in that that kind of relates to our impression of how God used the writers. And yet, God worked through their will, through their personality, and even through very human methods, even through very human methods. So we understand, and we see, we see reference to this directly from the scriptures. Let's consider what God said to Moses as with regards to dictation. In Exodus, 20, in Exodus 34, 27. The Lord said to Moses, write these words. So there's a sense in which Moses, in some mysterious way that we don't necessarily fully understand and it's not explained, the, me- the mechanics of it is not explained in detail, Moses, through communion with God, was told to write these words. Did he hear them audibly? Was that spoken to his heart? We don't know. And really, it doesn't matter. Because we know that what followed was the word of God, as it was verified and attested to be so. And so there's a sense in which Moses received dictation and followed by writing that which the Lord spoke to him. But Moses had to respond to God. If God had overtaken Moses' body like a robot, he would not have needed to say to Moses, write these words. All you would see is, and Moses wrote as the Lord gave him utterance. In Revelation, we see similarly, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Again, the Apostle John was given the instruction to note, to take down, to write that which was put before him. So there's a sense in which dictation was going to be, or was a method through which God used. Also, we see what is regarded as a a Holy Spirit-empowered remembrance. A Holy Spirit-empowered remembrance. You start with John 14. This is the prediction of Jesus, primarily and specifically to his apostles. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there was an ongoing communion with God that they would experience by, by means of the presence of the Holy Spirit that the apostles would receive instruction, insight and understanding by the Spirit, and yet also the things that they have heard of Christ would be brought back to their remembrance with clarity and accuracy. So when they begin to report on the life of Jesus and they start their notations some 20 years later, the first gospel is is said to be Mark, maybe came 40 years after the life of Christ, uh, after his resurrection. Apart from the fact that this was so significant, I mean, I'm 40 years, 40 years old now. Well, I'm 44, almost 45. Wow, time flies. <laughs> She's a bread. And um, there, are, there are certain things about my junior years, even as a five-year-old, that I can remember clearly. 
significant moments. I remember my first beating. I actually really do. And I remember what it was for and where I was. Anyway, that's another story. And in that, it's even on a natural level, not unthinkable or unreasonable. And yet someone could say, oh, well, you know, they're remembering things with such detail. How are they going to do that? Well, Jesus tells us how that happens. By means of the Holy Spirit's presence. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so... There was a clear prediction by Jesus that was fulfilled, and we see this in the letters, in such a way that there's consistency, there's harmony, evidence that God is at work as he foretold he would be. And so we see there the sense of God empowering the human mind with understanding and remembrance. But then there's another aspect to be considered. And we see this in the book of Luke. Research. So God used the human means of research to reveal his truth in order for it to be communicated. Luke chapter 1, 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So Luke acknowledges that he has received the testimony of the eyewitnesses. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. So Luke is saying that I had a presence and an awareness following these events Checking what's being said, considering that, okay, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so there is a sense in which Luke examined the facts. We have to remember that when we look at the Gospels, it's, it's facts. It's people in places and activities and all in time and space. And so, God empowered Luke as a researcher to speak to the eyewitnesses, to gather... Luke writes stuff about Mary that he could only have got from Mary. There are, there are things that he writes about her trip to meet Elizabeth and the baby jumping inside and all it. And so he interviewed Mary and he received her testimony and he noted that. And so in this we see the process by which the progress of the New Testament is transmitted to us, was not some situation where people were acting as if they were mad, as if they had lost control, but God was working divinely through very human means. And then goes on to preserve that as it's passed on. How did it get to us? How did it get to us intact? The writings were complete at AD 90. Within the next 50 to 60 years, the writings were circulating within the Christian community. Among those who were even themselves eyewitnesses, to much of what was written or to those who were 
in personal relationship with the authors. We know that Paul wrote to churches, most of whom he had a physical presence. He had been there and had personal relationship with them. He had spoken to them personally. Likewise, we see John in his letters or Peter in his letters having been acknowledged and recognized as one who was with Christ. These men were faithful to take disciples, younger men. So we understand that Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, was a disciple of Peter. And as a disciple of Peter, he was like his secretary. He was the one who wrote the Gospel in terms of his hand, but it was Peter's testimony that he was noting. And so as the apostles and that generation passed away, there were those who had personal relationship with the apostles who were able to say, yes, this is the writing of the apostles. And yes, this is the word of the Lord. And yes, it is to be received by God. And so as the writings, and you have to remember, these writings are circulating. They're being slowly copied by hand. There's no scanning and photocopying. Paul writes a letter to Philippi. John's gospel gets circulated. A, a, group, a, a community of Christians receive it. They set about copying it down. It gets passed on to another area. It takes time to get to the other area because they're traveling by horse and by foot. And by the time it gets to the other area, they haven't had an email to <laughs> forewarn of its coming. And so when they receive it, they're like, hmm, is this trustworthy? Let's send back to Corinth or let's send back to Colossae to see if these things are so. And so more time is elapsed. And so you have this process of a community scrutinizing the writings with an openness, just like Paul mentioned in the book of Acts, in Acts 17, he spoke of those who were Bereans. The Bereans received what I said, Paul, Paul quotes. They received the word from me and yet searched the scriptures to see that it was so. That was the attitude of the early church as they received these writings. And so uh, between 100 and 150 books were being known and verified as authoritative because this process of verification had been going on. Now, that's very early on in the life of these writings. That's very early on in relation to the events that they speak of. By AD 150 to 200, the New Testament amongst the Christian community had come to a place to be regarded as equal to the Old Testament. So already, those writings which were um, established as being truthful and verified as being of God were being regarded as equal to the Old Testament. We see Peter make reference to this in 2 Peter 3 as he speaks about the writings of Paul. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So Peter acknowledges that Paul was given wisdom by God as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. <laughs> Share your pain, bro. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So even within the lifetime of the, the writing of the New Testament, Paul's writings being amongst the earliest writings. P 
people were being very clear about that which was already regarded as scripture equal to the Old Testament. And Paul's writings were that. AD 200 to 300, the New Testament had been collected together as one. Copies of the writings, the manuscripts were being, that were, were being validated, had been gathered together to the point where it was now recognized as a body of work. 27 um, writings. They wouldn't have called them books because many of them were letters. 27 writings regarded as one body, definitively the word of God. By AD 300 to 400, the conclusion of the canon had been reached. Now, it's really important to understand that there wasn't a committee. You know, by the time the councils had happened, the canon had already been affirmed amongst the Christian community. They had already established what was thus and so. Through a, a steady and careful process of examination, validation and verification. So when the church councils took place, people think that Nicaea or Nicaea, some people say, that that was the point at which Everybody sat down in the committee and they just filtered through all of the writings. Oh, well, the Gospel of Thomas. What do you think about this one? You know what? There's some things in there that's a bit dodgy, you know. All right, let's chuck that one out. And, and as if this committee made the decision as to what was going to be regarded as the word of God. It never happened that way. That would be very easy for the conspiracy theorists. But God didn't work in that way. Verification came through community. Now, there was a man called Athanasius. He was known as the black dwarf by his enemies. He was a man of color. And Athanasius is regarded as one of the, the greatest theologians of the early church era. Now, why do I make reference to the fact that he's known as the black dwarf? apart from the fact that that's historically true. His enemies called him the Black Dwarf because this guy was just, he was undefeatable when it came to contending for the faith. There were many a heretic that he silenced through very erudite and thorough um, polemic presentations with regards to God's word. And so during his era... He, he wrote a letter um, which is regarded to be the earliest existing document that lists the 27 books of the New Testament. And he said, let nothing be added to these or taken away. And so he was acknowledging by that point, we, we, look, there's all kind of writings out there, we know that. But these 27 that have been identified are the ones that we know to be the word of God, inspired by the Spirit. Now, one of the reasons I highlight that he was a man of color because very often we hear the, the argument, Christianity is a white man's religion. Athanasius is a century and a half from the, the events. We're 2,000 years from the events. If there was someone who was going to have a closer insight to the truth and substance of the matters of the scriptures... He's going to have a much closer one, especially one who was, he didn't pet to scrutinize and declare such and the other to be heresy. Such was his passion and his commitment and his conviction. And so we see that this man known as the Black Dwarf was not blinded by issues of color. He was committed to issues of truth. A very helpful testimony to us. And the issue of heresy was a very prevalent one because there was, even in the, we read in the letters of Paul, we read in the letters of John, we read in the letters of Peter, there were, there were heretics even during the time of the writings of Scripture. 
There were heretics present declaring other truths. Paul speaks of Hymenaeus or Hymenius, as some people say, and others. And so there was even further incentive for clarity. People need to know the truth. They need to know what is reliable. And so therefore, the scriptures were established. The New Testament passed on, verified by the community of early believers. Eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses testifying to the solidness and substance of those writings that we have today. Nothing was done in secret. Nothing was decided in, in, in um, a unilateral fashion. But it was open. And when they came to the point of you know, actually determining which of these letters, uh, are we going to hold to these letters? One of the defining factors was which are the writings that people have given their lives for? Which are the writings that people have gone to the sword for? They've been sent to the flame for, that they have defended with their very own life. And such is the writings that we have today. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What more do you need? The scripture has been written for you, verified and validated. Do you receive it as that which is the first and final authority in your life regarding what you believe and how you behave? Do you believe it such that you're ready to, at risk of your reputation, at risk of not being liked, at risk of being ostracized, or even, as we see, people losing their jobs? We read about the the judge, the magistrate, who was struck off in family court because he made a decision that he didn't agree that a same-sex couple was the best context for an adopted child. He was struck off. And then he was struck off from the, from the NHS because of his Christian convictions. And his Christian convictions, he wasn't even declaring them in isolation. He said, look, there is research that exists. There have been studies that have been done that show this. And so, we see people who are ready, ready to risk their professional reputation. Is the Bible enough for you? These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. I'm going to invite the team back. Let's stand. Father God, we're so grateful. You are a loving, heavenly Father who provides what we need. And Lord, you know above all things that we need to have a clear and reliable testimony of you. It it is through your word that we know you. It is through your word that we come into relationship with you. It is through your word that we receive faith. It is through your word that we receive the life of Christ. We thank you, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people who stand on your word. And like those who were martyred, willing to give up everything, set aside everything based on the truth of your word. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness in our time. And forgive us, Lord, for where we 
departed from where Lord we've 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 actually doubted and even forsaken your word at times Lord forgive us I pray we ask this in your name Amen Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.